Hello, and welcome to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. Now, when we say album, we are speaking more of a cohesive artistic statement than a collection of songs, though sometimes the line can and will be thin. This is a preview episode, and eventually we'll get re-edited and put in the standard released order, but I felt it had the best balance of content and time awareness. We'd like to take a moment to remind listeners that the sound clips we use fall under fair use, but by no means should be used to fully judge the music. There are a lot of legal ways for more active listeners to hear these songs fully and decide on their own meanings, and we encourage them to do so, and discuss with us further. But it is our hopes that the small samples will be just enough for any passive listener to have a hint of the song. Today we will be talking about Harvey Danger's third and final album, Little by Little. The members of the band at the time of recording were Aaron Huffman, who played bass guitar and some guitar, Jeff J. Lynn, who played guitar and piano, Sean Nelson, who did the vocals, and Michael Welk, who played drums, and also featured many contributing artists. The album was released in September of 2005 after a hiatus from the band. It was simultaneously released on both physical and digital means from the band's own record label, Phonographic Records. The digital version was free, but the CD came with a second disc of outtakes and alternate versions. It saw a re-release with a slightly altered track list on Kill Rockstars a year later. My guest today is Jeremy W. Kerr, a writer and a puppeteer, and this was an album he recommended, so we're going to get right to the conversation. And I'm sitting here on the line with Jeremy Kerr. And as we usually do at the beginning of this these conversations, just so it's you're not weighing too heavily, Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and tell any listeners what you've got that you'd like to promote or anything you'd like to call attention to or whatever. Cool, thanks. Two things. One is uh, I, I recently released a, a YA science fiction novel, uh, the first of a trilogy, I, I hope, fingers crossed. So anybody who's interested in that, you can find it uh, on Amazon or any of the other places. Just look for my name, Jeremy W., Kerr. Middle initial is important because there are other Jeremy Kerrs out there. So Jeremy W. Kerr and uh, the book is called Runaways. And it's about just, it takes place in the future and it's four different runaways who are kind of fleeing some really crap stuff in their life and kind of the story of how they come together uh, to form a little team. Uh, and then the other thing, my, my real job, my day job is uh, I'm a marionette puppeteer and I work full time for a marionette theater here in Brooklyn, New York. So if you're ever you know, in Brooklyn on the weekends and you want to see a marionette show, just look us up. Uh, I work for a company called Puppet Works, and you can find us at puppetworks.org. Well, that's great. Yeah, and uh, it's nice to see see the art stay alive or at least struggling i guess <laughs> yeah yeah we're we're on a, a step below life support you know <laughs> for a while so i mean you know we're struggling but you know we're a non-profit the puppeteers we're in it because we love what we do and we love bringing theater and performance uh, to kids you know obviously if any of us wanted to make real money this is not where we would be but we're the type of people who have have just this mission of bringing good theater to people as that's what's in our hearts well, I think that's beautiful. And since we're talking about passion projects, why don't we uh, move right on into mine, this little Perfectly. podcast here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, for, for any listener, these might be recorded out of order from when they appear. But just, just for the listener's uh, standpoint, the way this show works is first-time guests, they get to pick an album. And then if, if they come again, then they get, they get to pick from a list of albums I want to talk about. But but this may not be the first time the listeners hear you, for all we know, but mm-hmm. this is the this is technically the first time you and I have re-recorded. So you picked this album, Harvey Danger, Little by Little. And I'd like to go ahead and, and open this up with a question. Now, I see some themes and I see some stuff, but I would like, in your own words, to explain to me and, and any listeners, what makes you think that this is an album instead of a collection of songs? 
Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> One I didn't even think about. This album, I think, um, kind of overall deals a lot with relationships, good relationships, bad relationships, uh, and w- whether we're talking friendships, uh, romantic relationships, family. And so I, I kind of see a, a, a theme that kind of runs through of, of just somebody who is, you know, the, the band had kind of made it, sort of. They had, uh, they one, had one, one hit. Yes, they had one hit song, and it was only a hit, I think, because it was used in the movie um, 10 Things I Hate About You. And that was, you know, so the song was Flagpole Sitta, and, you know, it was a very rocking type song. And, you know, a little while later, this album comes out, and it feels like the running theme is just kind of dealing with, dealing with connections, emotional connections, physical connections. Yeah, and so I, I really kind of think that that's the way I see it. That's kind of the running theme and why I would say this is like an album versus a collection of songs because of the just the conversations about emotional connections or lack of emotional connections in some of the songs. Well, I definitely would, would uh, agree with that. And this might just be, and a lot of this, what this podcast can be is this is, this might just be me reflecting myself, but I felt like, yeah, there was relationships, both romantic and friendship. There's just a big focus on social anxieties throughout. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, That's um, the more on my, when I went track by track and listened and, kind of examined song by song yeah you're just like oh wow yeah this is a this is a very i wouldn't say a nervous man but he's definitely kind of stressed out about the world <laughs> very anxious yeah definitely yes. i feel like a lot of this album is a reflection on youth too i i don't know if well, yeah. that, that happened for you but for me it definitely felt like a lot of this was just like here's how i got to where i am now <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. You know, as as a band, you know, we had hit it big and then now we're not big. And just, you know, even as just, you know, from a songwriter point of view, it's just like, here's all the stuff I'm struggling with and I'm just going to put it out, you know, in, in lyrics. Yeah, I did. I did have one note. It never actually says this through the context of the album, but but some of this is personal interpretation. I really felt like at times throughout this album, it's like almost swearing off romantic relationships. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, I'm done with romantic relationships. Here's why. Yeah, yeah. I will say that uh, some people may say that listening to this, all we do to prepare is look at Wikipedia. And sure, that I, I'm not going to lie and say I don't look at Wikipedia. <laughs> I listen to these albums a lot before I even talk to them, and a lot of it is personal imp- interpretation. But yeah. I did I did look at the, this album on, on uh, Wikipedia, and one thing I found out was that the title of this album was intentionally a reference to a quote from the movie HUD. Yes. Yeah. I've never seen that movie, HUD. Have you seen it? Do you know how it ties I, into this album? I, I actually don't. Um, I haven't seen it since probably when it first came out on video, which was a while back. But yeah, it's uh, a number of the album titles are connected to something else, movies, literature. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, I feel like just the very fact that that's the title, it sets a very referential theme. And, yes. and and not even in a negative way, but certain like parts of certain songs feel referential to other songs, not even lyrically. True. Yeah. Good point. Other other things that we should hit on before we start talking about the tracks. Uh, I did think it was interesting that this album is their this is their third album, which, you know, at the very top of the show, we have a little bit more of the album info. But this album was recorded after like a few year hiatus. Mm -hmm. And then they broke up after touring for this album. Yeah. And and it was sad because this album came out and um, I got it for free off of their website right when it first came out um it it was released in september of 2005 and they more or less kind of did that because the the production company i I believe or or the uh the 
the studio or whoever, it was just, things were kind of falling apart. Companies were closing down, you know, mergers and stuff like that. And they've realized this album wasn't going to get uh, handled the way that they wanted it to. It wasn't going to get promoted the way they wanted it to. So they just kind of took it over on their own and just were like, all right, let's do this ourselves. You know, let's put this out there. I think that's a, I mean, yeah, totally. And, and that's kind of a, a move that was made by bands at that time period anyways. And I think it's important to note for maybe our younger listeners, the mid-2000s, the early to mid-2000s really changed the music industry, oh, yeah. like entirely, to the point where like if this album had come out five years before, like putting it online would have been unheard of. But if it came out five years later, putting it online would be the norm. Right, yeah. Yes. Yeah. In in 2005, like this was not what was going on. Um, And they kind of did that because they saw if music gets online, it's mostly because it's pirated, you know, in 2005. And so they kind of just were like, you know what, we're going to do this because if you want to listen to our music, you're going to listen to it one way or the other. We'd rather you do it with our permission and, and our, you know, blessing almost. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, there's a quote that art should art should flow freely to the people. And I mm-hmm. think I think a lot of artists that first started on the Internet and, and to a degree still stay around today were very much taking that. They're like, well, I'd rather people hear my music than me to, like, spend a lot of money to not make any money. Exactly. Yeah. And and it also I mean, it it, it kind of helps, you know, they were touring. And, you know, so if you find this album for free and you listen to it and you like them, you're going to go to their concert if they're in town, you know, so you're going to spend money there, you know, and I've even seen, um, I, um, I'm a, I've stayed a big fan of the lead singer, uh, Sean Nelson. Uh, I bought his most recent album. Uh, I've seen him here in Brooklyn. I've, you know, so, and all that's coming because I got a free album that they put out. He's still getting my money because he gave me a free album 10 years ago. Yeah. I have one last point, but but before we kind of stop our general album talk, is there anything else you'd like to say about the album as a whole? Um I just uh I, I did find the quote uh that that came from the uh that gave the album the the name uh is again like you said from the movie HUD and it says little by little the look of the country changes because of the men we admire. And I just think that's a a fascinating concept when you when you're then beginning to look into the album and say how does that play into this you know and and so i think it's kind of one of the themes that's going through this is you know the the people we admire they change our lives for better or for worse and and i kind of feel like that's one of the things that's a, a through line throughout this album is discussing, you know, the people I've loved or the people that I still love, they're changing me as a person in one way or the other. And a lot of times it's in ways that you can't control and don't even know until after it's done. Well, you know, that's an interesting point. And even just hearing you say that made me have my own ideas about that. I feel like this is around the time when nerd culture stopped being like mm. a subculture and started being part of the main culture yeah and I, and I almost feel like musicians like this and and like weezer were kind of music for that switch yeah so like he's he, i feel like yeah maybe the title's commenting on the people that have touched their lives but at the same time they want to be the people who are making changes right or or they see the the people or on top of that they just see people making changes in their image i guess right right my last note about this is, and it's one of the reasons I started off with the question to you that I did, is I definitely think this is an album. I think there are times when it almost feels like it could just be a collection of songs, though. 
Right. And I do feel like I want this little note, and this is kind of personal for me, but anyone that knows me, I, I've spent a lot of my life making mixtapes, mix CDs, blah, blah, <laughs> right. blah, blah. And I did note that because of the very poppy nature of a lot of these songs, I feel like they're perfect for like a tempo shift on a mixtape or a mix CD. Oh, yeah. like, um, which I have, I've used two of these songs more than once on mixtapes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're perfect, like pithy, poppy tempo shifts. Yep. You know, I don't. I don't really have many th- other things to say about this. I just, it, like we've said, it, this album feels like it touches on a lot of social anxieties. It feels like it's a lot of reflection, and it feels like it's about relationships. Um, right. I, I'd like to say one more thing. Just kind of throw this in because uh, when you originally asked about favorite albums, this was the imme- first one that came to my mind. And you know, if you if you know me, you know I'm a huge U2 fan. So for me to say an album that wasn't U2 is a big deal. And I got to thinking about why, why this album, um, because I realized it's my most listened to album of all time in my life. I found it interesting that I came across this album fully on my own. Like it wasn't, it wasn't wrapped up in any relationship. I didn't find it when I was dating at the time, you know, so it didn't get ruined when I had a breakup. Uh, it wasn't recommended by a friend. It wasn't tainted by anyone else's opinion. Like I literally knew one song by the band, again, Flagpole Sitta, downloaded this and came into it with zero preconceived notions. And I think that to me, is one of the reasons why this album meant so much to me and still does because like on a personal level, this is my album. Yeah. I've shared songs with it uh, off of it with other people, but this was one that I found fully on my own and had no one else's input. And so it really feels like a very personal thing for me, all these songs. And and so I just thought I'd throw that in there because I think that kind of almost fits with the theme of the album too. Well, no, I think, I think that was a very important note. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think how, I mean, obviously, art influences our lives and our lives are affected by art. It's weird to think about, especially with music, how much is just, we heard this from somebody else, we heard right. this on the radio, how how rare it is. Like, I think of even some of my favorite bands that I feel like I discovered on my own and I realize, well, no, somebody covered them, somebody somebody uh, yeah. sampled them. I can't, I can't think of a band that I just completely stumbled in, completely 100% by myself. Right. Because, especially because as as uh, listeners may or may not know, I listen to a lot of rap. So nine times out of ten, I hear about new rappers when they're on somebody else's song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's an interesting thought. Well, would you like to take a quick little break, <laughs> get, throw a little promo out and come back and talk about each song individually? Sure. That'd be great. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. We're going to take a brief break and be right back. Hey, I just wanted to take a minute to remind everybody about Jeremy's book. It's called The Runaways, and it's a sci-fi YA novel. And it's about the adventures four young teenagers have. YA means young adult. But that just leads me to ask, what does young adult mean? I guess what I'm trying to say is that this book is for anyone who enjoys sci-fi, and it's definitely worth your reading. So check out The Runaways. I'd also like to take a minute to promote this very own podcast, The New Ears Podcast, Coming soon, it's an auditory exploration of the art of the album, or a podcast that's a book report about an album. Either way you look at it, we listen to a lot of different music and have a lot of different thoughts with guests from all different walks of life. Please check out New Year's Podcast. And now back to the preview. Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Jonathan Humphrey, and I'm sitting here with my friend Jeremy Kerr, and we've been discussing Harvey Dangers little by little. We're about to do the track by track, so we're just going to go ahead and start you off with a little sample of the first song, Wine, Women, and Song. 
So I guess we're gonna start this song off by、uh, asking a question. the The lyrics in their song are "Wine, women, and song." I tried them all; it did not take long to figure out which unlocked the keys to happiness. I figured wrong. So my question is: Did he find wine or women first, <laughs> or did he find song first and decide which one is the right answer and which one's the wrong answer? You know, with this, with, I think the point of this album is none of them worked. Yeah, because because then he says, you know, you know, I, I figured I'd bring, you know, more or less the song is about, you know, I, these things would bring me happiness, but I figured wrong. So the point is, yeah, it's it doesn't matter which one you try first, you know, you're going to end up going onto the next one and the next one. <laughs> right. Before we get any further into talking about this song, I like to say usually we like to each pick out three standout tracks from an album, and sometimes it's harder than others, and you know sometimes these rules don't always apply, but I definitely find this to be one of the standouts of the album. I、yeah. think it's it's a really strong start to an album. Yeah, and and this was one of those again. This was two thousand five, and it wasn't some ambiguous love song. You know, Th- this one told a story. You know, it's talking about living with a poet, dating an actor, trying all these different things. As, as someone who had who's been through a lot of breakups myself. I loved the line. All the baggage I brought wouldn't fit in a mid-sized car, because that's how I feel like I go into every relationship is just like just dragging my baggage with me. <laughs> right. I think a lot of people are guilty. I will say I feel like, and and you were kind of of skirting around this, is that part of the major theme of this song is what happens when you let your relationships define you.、Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, which is you know why he's talking about when he's dating a poet, he's doing certain things. When he's dating an actor, things went certain ways. Yeah, yeah. The, the point is,、uh, you know, he's saying, you know, I should have been doing this stuff, but I wasn't. I was taking care of this little life that we were forming, and that's not to say it's a bad thing, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of a story of getting like lost and wrapped up in a relationship and and putting the other person always first at the expense of yourself. Right, and and that's as speaking as someone who who's not been in a lot of relationships, but enough to know.、Uh, <laughs> If you are putting yourself last, that's、uh, you're in a lot of trouble once the relationship ends. Exactly. One of the things about this song is, you know, he he raises the the point that you know you you put yourself so much into a relationship and you build your life around that, but then once it's over and you look back at that person, he asks the question, "Didn't you used to be someone who meant something to me?" And like that's a kind of punch in the gut because you know at, at one point in time someone can be your everything. And then when you look back on it, it's just kind of this vague. Oh yeah, you you really meant a lot to me, didn't you? You know, and and you realize how much that person doesn't have to be your whole life, or in some cases can't be. You know. Yeah, I've I've actually been reflecting on stuff like that myself a lot lately. I I don't want to get too deep into my own personal history, but I've always looked at it as that person that held that person so highly is dead. Th- that person had to die so that I could keep living. I loved the part though. Once I dated an actor, but I misinterpreted one of the lines, and I like my interpretation better because apparently the line is she told me she was hungrier than I was brilliant, and I always heard it as she told me she was hungry and that I was brilliant, which is like.、Hey, It's nobody's fault, as opposed to well, you're not as great as as I am wanting greatness. Yeah, th- that's what I heard those lyrics as、uh, for years.、Um, she said that I was, she was hungry, and that I was brilliant. Yeah, I, and I was like, wow, that's really poignant. And then I realized, oh, that's not what he's saying at all. She, she was more or less putting him down. Yeah, it's, it, if you hear that line the way we heard it, it ve- seems a lot more amicable. <laughs> Yes, exactly. But、uh, another thing about this song, and and specifically that one line, is that、um, you know I got this album about two months after I had been dumped 
um, after being with a girl for three years. And a little bit earlier, you know, than that, um, a close friend of mine had had kind of like dumped me as a friend, and she had just like written me off uh, and saying that I was a negative energy in her life, and that she didn't want me in her life anymore. So I I was really moved by that line, you know, didn't you used to be someone who meant something to me? Because you know, between both of these girls, that that, that line really kind of struck. Yeah, I would like to point out real quick that the name of this song is the first line of Villanella of the Poet. It's Road by Ernest Christopher Dowson. Any last thoughts about Wine, Women, and Song? I think this song is kind of like, it's about the, about knowing that you're trying things that you know aren't going to work. There's that kind of concept of, you know, throwing yourself into things that in reality you know aren't going to be the things that make you happy, but you do it anyway. You know, you figure wrong and you try and, and see what comes out of it. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I got out of it my, myself. You know, like I said, I find this to be a standout track on the album. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and, and play a little small sample of Cream and Bastard's Rise. All right. Now, I know earlier I mentioned Weezer, but this song has a major Weezer feel to me. Not <laughs> yeah. not not in a negative way. I'm not trying to be like, oh, they just ripped off Weezer, but it's very similar to the Weezer sound. Yeah, definitely. This one, uh, it, it's it's a, such a great concept. I, again, the, the quote, or the, the name of the song is a quote, is from Paul Newman in a movie called Harper. And this was more like the sound that I expected to hear out of Harvey Danger. You know, that first song, it starts with piano. And that was not, you know, again, I only came into Harvey Danger knowing one song, you know, and it, but it was a rock song. It's just interesting because with such an upbeat tempo, you realize that it's a sad song. But I kind of also like the fact that musically, it refuses to be a sad song. Like he didn't write a sad song, you know, uh, from the musical standpoint. It's it's a fun, happy, woo kind of song. It's, so it's, it's interesting, the, the dichotomy of that. Well, I have it down in my notes that this is a loser's anthem. Yeah, yeah, I like that, yeah. But it's not. But but unfortunately, it's not even from the loser's standpoint. It's the person telling the losers that they are losers. <laughs> yeah, but it's still a rallying point for the losers. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and obviously, I, there's something about the breakdown in this song. It, it reminded me of something else, but I just could not place what it reminded me of. Yeah, that's. It's basically very much like nice guys finish last. You either have to be a really terrible person or the absolute best. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways, this song is very, very self-explanatory. I will say, I feel like they front load this album a lot. Oh, yes. And, and that that's this so- is this is also one of the standout tracks for me. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a really good point is, yeah, th- this album is very front loaded. Yeah. And but, you know, you kind of think about that is, you know, in 2005 was when people were really beginning to make the shift to like digital music and listening to songs versus albums and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe they thought, hey, if we can get you to hang in there for the first four or five songs, you'll stay with this whole album. Yeah, I, th- I feel like that was definitely kind of an approach during that shift. Yeah. I don't really have much else to say about this song. Do you, do you have something you'd like to add to it? No, this, again, like you said, it's kind of self-explanatory. I, I like it. It's a lot of fun. But again, it's one of those, you realize you're having a lot of fun at the expense of this loser. And that's kind of sad. <laughs> and, and, at the, and at the same time, very much a backbone of what this album is. Right, exactly. I guess we'll go ahead and sample a little bit of Moral Centralia. Just 
I, I know it, it's just kind of like the tambourine, the sleigh bells, but the beginning of the song before the guitar comes in has this very Christmassy feel to me. <laughs> and, and then the guitar comes in and, and that third and fourth bar of the guitar line is like the first two bars of the guitar line kind of almost fit with the, the Christmassy, but those second two bars kind of slip into like a minor chord and get really dark. Yeah. I, I, fi- I find that a little a little unsettling in a good way. Yeah. And the opening line kind of matches that. Like it completely fools you when you first listen to it because it says, you are weak, I am strong, and I've done nothing but lead you on. And you're like, oh, man, this is the narrator really putting something down. And then it says, she said. Yeah, right, right. In a very hush-hush uh, way almost. Yeah. So you, you realize right from the beginning, you're like, oh, oh, this is somebody telling him this. So yeah, it kind of, it, it does take that like, dark shift even you know uh lyrically well and and in the last song you were talking about how then in the first song you heard all that piano i really feel like that piano comes all the way back in this song it, yeah. in a lot of ways this reminds me of a ben fold song the way the piano is so and the backing vocals are layered in a way that ben folds uses a lot right yeah definitely <clears throat> um you know you know, uh, apparently Centralia is a place that's right in between Seattle and Portland. Yes, I think so. And so I guess it's it's the middle ground between the two, and the title implies he's in some kind of moral middle ground. Right, which is great because, you know, you've got that whole, you've got like, you know, I don't want to marry my convictions, not right now. You know, so yeah, it's, it's about being in that middle place of, you know, as long as I don't have to interact with, or Amy says, as long as I don't have to interact with anyone else on a meaningful level, I'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like in a lot of ways, the song is pretty narcissistic. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it, there's the line, you know, it's it's all about me. I mean, he, he once again, you. once again, yeah. it's all about me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not just this is all about me. It's, once again, it's all about me. Yeah. Yeah. This is a this is a common occurrence. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I also I, I got this feeling from the song that I might just be putting there, but Centralia is also kind of like this metaphor for like just trying to find a middle ground in general and in life with people. It just it feels very much like just trying to find the middle of the road place. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because I also think that vocally, this is one of the most emotional songs on the album. Oh uh, yeah. I could, it, I could it, definitely see that. I mean, his, his voice is almost cracking sometimes. I mean, this is, you know, this is, it sounds like someone who's really in pain and what better way to not be in pain than just try to find the middle ground and, and not have those close interactions. Yeah, definitely. And this is, this was the song I was saying that, that that friend of mine who who dumped me for being a negative thing, this was the one that came back because there's the line, I'd like to go back 10 years and show you a picture of yourself now, but I'm afraid that it might kill you then. You used to be such a loyal friend. And like the very first time I heard that lyric, I immediately thought of her. And like, like to this day, you know, 10 years later, I can't hear that line without thinking of her. And it's just such a... You know, but then again, it's one of those that kind of slaps me, though, because then the very next line is once, you know, it's all about me. You know? right. And then I was like, oh, you know, and kind of reminds me, you know, when when, pers- when people make decisions about you and, and their own life, they are involved as well. Like this, this song has been more to me just beyond the song itself is I always have to keep reminding myself that, you know, she had her own side to the story, that it's not just my side and i think that's an interesting thing about this song is it 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 touched on something i was going through 10 years ago and and really has stayed with me well what's what's interesting to that is when i heard that line i was i made it self-reflexive i was like who have i cut out of my life in the past 10 years yeah i've been a terrible person these last 10 years i've been 
I mean, I've I've always been slightly antisocial, but the older I get, the more antisocial I get. Right. So I was like, oh, and then it's all about me. It's all about you, Jonathan. <laughs> right. So, and, and that's another one of my notes was I did feel like as where some of these songs on this album are very much about romance, I did feel like this one was more about a friendship. Yeah. Like, and it definitely feels like, oh, trying to reclaim a friendship or trying to get to a place beyond the falling out or whatever. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's it's one of those, again, once you listen to the lyrics, it's kind of self-explanatory, but it definitely is one of those that is the hardest for me to hear because of, of that one line. And it, it does make me think of, you know, she could say the same thing. I was a loyal friend and didn't always do right by her. So it's, it's, you know, this, I think that's one of the things I love so much about this album is Sean Nelson has really written amazing lyrics that you can think about for 10 years. You know, it's, this isn't, these aren't just poppy love songs. Right. But they are cleverly disguised as poppy love yes. songs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, we're going to go ahead and play a little bit of track four, Little Round Beer. So, like I said at the top, I feel like lots of this album is, it's not like stealing from other musicians, but I feel like there's some reference to other musicians through the music. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is not a song that I like. This actual song I like, but the song that I feel like it reminds me of isn't a song I necessarily like, but I can't help hear it every in my head every time I listen to this song. And that's If I Ever Lose My Faith in You by Sting. <laughs> There's some like vocal pattern he does in this in in this song that just reminds me so much of it. Yeah, um, the line when he says "little round mirrors" probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna lie. It took me a while to figure out what he meant by "little round mirrors." At first, I just thought he was talking about like a little round hand mirror, and then I was like, oh. They're CDs. Okay, so let me tell you the story of this song in my life. From about the second time I heard it, I was so smug because I understood that, oh, this song is about someone, um, for my example, I'll say it's a girl, um, who loves the idea of like the small amount of fame that bands have. You know, like when a, a local band or something like that, and she's like this groupie, you know, and all the lyrics made so much sense to me, except the line, Little Round Mirrors. <laughs> it took me, I'm not going to lie to you, almost three years of listening to this album, because again, like, I feel like on the surface level, this song is very easy to understand, so I didn't think about it too much. And then, like, one day I'm driving down the road listening to it, and, like, I had gotten the concept that it's a, it's about somebody and her love of bands and how, you know, she throws herself at their feet and she invites them back to, you know, her apartment and then they don't stay in touch and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, you're an idiot. Little Round Mirrors are CDs, you know? And, and there's a part of me that makes me think, okay, well, if this had come out three years earlier, I would have had this album on CD. Right. <laughs> you know, instead of as a download. So I just wouldn't, yeah. And I was, I was so smug from the very beginning. I was like, oh, I know what this is about. It's so obvious. And then three years later, I'm like, I cannot believe I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a similar experience in a much shorter time span, but with this song and another song on this one, I do feel like... Like, yeah, this song could be about a girl, but I also feel like it could be written in the second person and it could be about him as a musician. I don't I don't know if that's something that you ever yeah, got yeah. from it, but I feel like in a way he's like, ah, uh, if 
if I cared about other things as much as I care about making these albums. That, that's yeah, that's definitely one way to think of it that way. Like I just always saw it as like there's you know there's always that one girl you know and, and I'm not speaking disparagingly but you know at small venue concerts you know pushes her way to the front she sings every lyric of the song you know trying to make eye contact with the lead singer and and then it speaks to or you know, whatever whoever in this band you know it talks about you know you know you found someone who takes your music twice as seriously as you could ever hope to do you know talking to the singers you know and it's a it's a very sad song in in ways because it again the, my my view of it is that it's a, it's about someone who who just wants to be recognized by the people that she loves and she gives herself to these people and then they just kind of move on yeah and i definitely feel it that way but i feel like the beauty of of the song is a way for him to speak about both situations right yeah definitely one of the the most fascinating things about this song to me is the actual composition it starts off in a very simple repeated piano tune and then once he starts singing the the drums join in but again it's a very simple beat that same piano tune is repeating and like it slowly for a minute is just that and then it starts adding instruments on and then by like a minute 30 we hear like a french horn and then but again it's still very simple and then it keeps just progressing and then like around three minutes and 20 seconds which is uh, the bridge it's this huge thing of just adding more instruments adding more backing vocals suddenly there are cymbal you know his voice keeps getting more emotional and then and then at five minutes it's like this huge just is i like the phrase you know a wall of sound and then suddenly it's just gone. Yeah, it, it doesn't fade off. You know, as the, as you know, the producer didn't fade it down. The install, you know, they just stopped. I think that is a really interesting metaphor for the relationships, even that that he's singing about. Is you know that these are there are these things that just keep building and building and building, but they're not necessarily built on real real things, and they just they're done and they're over. You know, you know, it's whether the band breaks up or whether a person leaves town or you know, you've got these relationships that are just build to nothing you know they build to this great thing and then they're just done and over with and i you know and which is you know kind of sad when you realize that's kind of what happened to harvey danger you know and I, I just wanted to take a second to point out that this is my my third and final standout track of the album. Nice, yeah, yeah. This is the one that every time I read about this album, it's like, oh, Little Round Mirrors was you know one of the singles, and I never once heard this song anywhere. But they always push it as, oh yeah, one of the two singles off this album, and I'm like, where were these being played? I never. <laughs> college radio in portland oh true yeah and i i just think it's an interesting song because i love if you hear the song at minute five and then compare it to those first 20 seconds you had no idea that that's where it was going you know it just it's it's like a graph that just constantly rises and rises i, I like that about this song and i feel like moral centralia is pretty similar too right yeah where you wouldn't be able to tell the beginning from the like other parts of it yeah i don't i don't really have anything else to say about little round mirrors no i i just like it yeah i, I think it's again i'm gonna probably say this a number of times and i think i've already said it once i'm impressed with the way sean Nelson uses storytelling in his, you know, again, these aren't just lyrics. These aren't just, oh, let me talk about friend breakups or love or, you know, just he's, he's, he's very specific. And in that specificity, I think he speaks to a very big picture. I, I think that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to go ahead and move on along. Like I said, there were two songs in this, this album where I understood what they were implying, but the title themselves escaped me. And they're back to back, so we're going to go ahead and listen to a little snippet of Happiness Writes White. Right. 
So, so as someone that occasionally still writes, but used to write lyrical poetry with dreams that they'd someday be songs, I understood the meaning of this song immediately. Like you were saying, I was so small. I'd be like, oh, when you're, when you're happy, you can't write anything. There's, yep. It's so hard to write anything when you're happy. You know, the best, my best work comes from when I'm sad or angry. And then I was like, but. But it sounds racist that happiness rides white. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, wait, the white is a blank page. Yeah, yeah. It took a little while, though. It really did take a little while. Yeah. So this uh, this song was another one where the, the title came from a, a quote, which I think, you know, again, I'm just really impressed with how wide read the, the lyricist seems to be. But the quote is, happiness writes in white ink on a white page and you know and again like you i used to especially like in junior high and high school write a lot of very angry or sad poetry and this is kind of one of those things where like it's really easy to write breakup poetry but it's almost impossible to write poetry when you're like in the second or third month of a really good relationship you know it's it's it just deals with that concept of uh, you know if of things are going so well there's nothing to say about them Right. Yeah. And that's definitely how I feel when things are going well. I'm like, I don't need to to write. I don't need to express. Things are expressed for me. Yeah. And um, I actually had a a girl that I, I dated for a while. She actually asked me one time, she was like, you never write about us. And I didn't. And then like when, you know, she broke up with me a few months later and then like, I ended up writing more poetry about her than any of, or than all of my other relationships combined. <laughs> you know, but, uh, no, that's funny. I actually had dated someone that was like, "You never, you never write about me," and I was like, "Well, wait till you break up with me." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, apparently he wrote this song for his wife. I mean, he references her name a couple times in the song. Yeah, Ariella. And apparently they're in a happy relationship. So the rest of the song album must have been hard to write. Yeah, yeah, or maybe he wrote it before meeting her or something. Yeah. I don't know. And this was the little last one for yeah and i just love again this one it's it's very fun he says things like when i consider what you put up with i'm amazed you still have skin but then it's also a beautiful love song because then he says when i consider what you mean to me it's everything and that's just like oh and yet it's still falling into the trap of wine women and song yeah, well, that's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that's a way to look at this album c- circularly. Is thing- yeah. I mean, even though his relationship may still be happy and healthy, you never know. Yeah. And uh, it, it's also funny, though, because he's like, when I consider what you mean to me, it's everything. Which then, again, circular, that points back to the... the the point of the song just saying it's everything isn't saying anything right yeah exactly here's this amazing poet and he's like when i consider what you mean to me it's everything and you're (laughs) like really that's but you know again he he can't you know he can't find the right words you know and he says he can't find the words he can't find the chords and he knows it's really important to say it but it's just not happening yeah it's not the right way to say it i guess yeah. but yeah and it's a, it's a beautiful sentiment and it yes obviously both of us can relate when you're happy it's it is it's hard to create things yeah and and i also like this because it's this is a song almost just like about real life you know he he bookends the song talking about having to get up at 7 30 in the morning having to go to bed at 11 30 cursing the alarm that she set exactly you know and it, you're just like wow this is this isn't like some exaggeration of love and dreams. This is this is literally just a song about life, you know, and and having to wake up each day and do it and it's only good because she's bringing something good into it. But again, wine women and song, he better watch out, you know. <laughs> exactly. He'll try them all a third time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I I don't really have anything to add about that. No. Nah, no. Nah. Well, then we're going to go ahead and uh move on to the next track. 
incommunicado. I wish the words would fail me just for once. Keep incommunicado. Live for the present tense and come to my senses. Just like I feel like a lot of the themes of this album kind of fold in here. I mean, this song is about miscommunication. It's about a romantic implications it's about social anxieties yeah i mean it really is what you're talking about at the front like him trying to express things to different people and not quite meeting up right and and also having different expectations of what people mean in your life and them not having that same expectation obviously a lot of this song is is romantic sense like dreamt that we shared a house of beds and nothing happened right but i do feel like at least certainly for me the first verse itself just speaks to social anxiety and Oh yeah. With without it being directed at in a particular relationship, it's just the social anxiety itself. Right. Yeah. Um, and I also I also like in this song the the female backup singer who, who I'm assuming is probably his wife. She sings as well. Um, I, at least I think she does. But I love that she like she's not just a backup singer. She actually responds to him. Oh yeah. There's there's one where I was like I did something something and her response was me too. Yeah. You know. And and the line that you just said. You know. I dreamed we were alone all night in a house made out of beds and nothing happened. She and then she says you call that a dream. And uh, it's 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 wonderful because again it's like these these different expectations and different views. You know. It's. You know, I, I think it all kind of really sums it up with, uh, you know, he says, we talked for 20 minutes, but by the time the party ended, you'd forgotten. And I'm still thinking about it five years later. Yep. And and that was the one where you're just like, wow, this really is this song and this album just deals with, you know, one person thinking something of a situation. And, and again, it doesn't even have to be romantic relationships, but just assuming something or getting caught on something and the other person just not feeling that at all or the, or the institution or whatever it is. It, it, I think it's a really interesting idea. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I can definitely relate to that. Like even not in a romantic sense, like in school or in a social event, like I'll be in this conversation and I will express things in a way that I later realized that it didn't make me sound the way I wanted to sound when I said them. Right. So, so I'll be stuck on that for, for years. And then oh, the yeah. other person won't even think twice about it. Yeah. Or, you know, I think some, you know, I think back to times when I've hurt somebody, you know, with something I've said, and I know they've forgotten it and moved on and, or even they didn't hurt at all. But the, I was like, Ooh, that was terrible, Jeremy. You know, and like <laughs> I've, I've gotten hung up on that. And like, I've even found myself apologizing years later for something. And the person's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, well, cool, great. I guess I can't move on then because you can't forgive me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And I do feel like the very last part of this song is him just being like, this is my last chance. If if I'm just going to talk to you and tell you these things, and if it doesn't do any good, so be it. It's over. Yeah, yeah. It's like the very last part of it is him coming to terms with his own insecurities and him being like, I might as well at least take this opportunity, and if it doesn't work, then... I'm finally free of it. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's, he's addressing that, uh, incommunicado. He's like, you know, I don't want to be incommunicado anymore. I'm going to put this out there and see where it goes. Yeah, and then if it doesn't go anywhere, then I'll go back to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ba- her vocals in the song were, re- they add a whole lot to it. I feel like yes, they, yeah. but not, not even just in the call, call and response, just in the, the very feel of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was nice to, to have a, another voice on this album finally yeah and it's nice 
it's nice the way again what we were talking about earlier it's nice to know that there's a there's two sides to this yeah oh yeah because that makes it feel like there's a second side to this song not just not just one way street right yeah i think there's a um like a, a a postal service song or some other band that had a very similar like the guy singing oh this is what happened and then the girl comes in and is like no this is how i saw it you know and it's it's are you referring to the human league no no <laughs> Sorry. So, and for anyone who doesn't know the Human League by name, I just made a joke about the song "Don't You Want Me, Baby." Yeah, yeah. Um, that that one as well. You know, and yeah, yeah. I was I was working as a waitress, but that's about all that you've got right. Yeah. So it's just this concept of no matter how you uh, interpret a situation or the way you come out of it, the other person probably doesn't feel that way, and you're both right. And you're both wrong. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we kind of we've we've hit on all the major points of this. Is there something we've missed? No. Nah, no. Nah, I. Uh, well, I let's don't. let's go on to a song that I, especially that perplexes in perplexes me. <laughs> it perplexes you. Yes. It perplexes me a little bit. But what I was going to say is, in a lot of ways, in the past month or so, in my mood has really fit this song. Okay. Here we go. So we're going to play a little sample of Cool James. This song, to me at least, is about someone who's very desperate to change certain things about who they are, things that they've seen negatively affect their life over and over again, but can't. No matter how hard they try, they can't change these things. Hmm. I mean, that's that's how I feel. Obviously, there's a little play on on talking about LL Cool J. But right. I don't think that I don't think the song so I saw online someone's like this song's just about LL Cool J and how he hates him. <laughs> I was like, no, no, wow. He's mad That's... that that LL Cool J can handle any situation and adapt where he can't. Right. Yeah. That's you've got to really hate LL Cool J to write an entire song about that. If yeah. Um. I mean, how could you hate LL Cool J that much? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't. The the bastard changes. Yeah. yeah. And and for those that don't know, LL stands for Ladies Love. Ladies Love Cool James. Yeah. For for those who are not in the know, I used to make a joke that I'm a LL Fool J. And that's a ladies loathe fool Jonathan. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, this song isn't about LL Cool J. He's just using him as as a ridiculous example of this person who is adaptable, who can go with the circumstances, who's who's ready for anything. And he's like, I can't adapt and I want to be able to, but I've just been seeing these things that I want to change and I can't change. Okay, yeah, I can I can see that. And uh and like one of the one of the lines that I've always enjoyed is a really interesting turn of the phrase. Says you spent half your life trying, half your life talking, trying to get a pause in edgewise, you know, instead of it's just an interesting idea of you are talking so much that you can't even get yourself to pause and to think. And I think that kind of goes with the whole you might want to change, but you're so set on your own life and on your own course that it just can't happen sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that turn of phrase, too. I think I almost think it's not directed at a person, but at a society. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a little true then maybe, but especially now, like with social media, I feel like it's all anybody does is talk, talk, talk. There's no listening. There's no taking a break. Yeah. It's just talk, talk, talk. By... And sometimes it's not even it's it's like just talk 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 without even thinking of what you yourself are talking about or what society is talking about. It's just we can't be silent. We can't be quiet and think. It's just got to throw it out there. 
Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's and then also it all put, boils down to social anxieties. And I do feel like in a lot of ways this song pairs with the one before it mm-hmm. because the, where the the first song he's talking about all his social anxieties, and in this song he's like, well, I see all these social anxieties, but I can't change my nature. Right. Yeah. You know, this is a pretty rocking song. It's one of yeah. the, the more up tempo songs on the album. And I, I'm I'm 99% sure. I, I'll even say 100. I'm 100% sure this is the only song I've ever heard that talks about the movie Lawrence of Arabia. Because uh, <laughs> he says there's a there's a line in there. He says. Uh, Sir Alec said to Peter, what I owe you is beyond evaluation. So Sir Alec is Alec Guinness talking to Peter O'Toole in the right. movie Lawrence of Arabia. And I'm just like, again, I'm just like, man, this man, Sean Nelson knows his stuff. He has so many cultural touchstones and and just so much other culture that he wants to bring into his songs. Well, I yeah, think that yeah, yeah, it fits in with the uh, referential themes of the album. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just, you know, it's it was I remember one time um Rick Springfield said, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who's used the word moot in a rock song. And and, and I got to thinking about that. I was like, yeah, I don't know anybody else who references Lawrence of Arabia in a rock song. And I I don't know, I love that for this song. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I can get in and in and talk for hours about how I feel like I can't change my negative nature, but I don't have anything really to say about the song other than no, what yeah, said. yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, and you actually helped me a lot because a lot of I felt I felt like I was barely beginning to understand what the song was about. And again, because for years I just listened to this, you know, passively in my car. And I just would always be like, "What is he talking about?" But you know, what what you were saying, I think, makes a lot of sense. Is just that, you know, using LL Cool J as as an example of someone who could change with the times, and how we we kind of envy that, you know. And, and the fact that he says, you know, the bastard changes. It's it's again, I don't think he hates LL Cool J, but he's he's definitely jealous. Yeah, it, it's not a bastard. Isn't like what a terrible person. It's that ah, that bastard. He has what I want. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna move on to track eight and play play you guys a little bit of track eight right now, which is titled "What You Live By." Maybe this is just me, but this is where the album really starts to start winding down for me. These last three songs are are probably some of my least favorite on the album. Mm. I don't know if I'm hoping I'm not like stepping on toes and you're like, the last three are my favorite, but... I do feel like this is where the album starts to wind down for me. I no, I, I definitely agree, especially this one. Like I, I literally wrote one note about this song. I just wrote, "This song is pure poetry," and that's that's like all I put. <laughs> um, you know, like you know, I, I don't want to read the entire song, but you know, if if you're listening to this, look up the lyrics for what you live by, and I I think it is a beautiful poem. It's just like I think it's some just poetry at at its finest. However. As a song, I'm always just like, okay, we're getting near the end of the album. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it's just you know, and, and I don't even really have anything to say because again, the the whole point it's called what you live by, and you know, I think the song makes a lot of sense if you listen to it, and you know, there's no hidden stuff, but from a poetic standpoint, I think this song is beautiful. However, again, having said that, I'm like. Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Well, I will say, in a nutshell, this is this is what the meaning of this song to me was. Mm-hmm. It's that life itself is a slow death, mm-hmm. and what you choose to do with it is how you are dying. Yeah. 
Like that's that's exactly what it means to die by what you live by. I mean, of course, like I, you know, there's there's biblical references to be like you know you live and die by the Bible for for crusaders or whatever. Right. Like there, there's that that nature of reference, but honestly, when you boil it down, it's what you're doing is how you're dying. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And there's that famous. You know. There's the quote: "If you live by the sword, you would die by the sword." Ex- exactly. You know? But I think yeah, you you replace the word sword with anything. And that's the point. Yeah, know? exactly. If you live by music, you'll die by music. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and I found I found the second verse, the whole thing about going to school, really relatable. I feel like that's my school experience in general. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, for for those listening who have not listened to the the song, the, I'm I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the actual lyrics open this time, but it's uh, I went to school. And I spoke up when I had nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like I do that myself and I catch myself doing that and I can't stop myself. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, but again, it's, it's more of a I feel like the whole point is he can't stop himself either. And, and that's what's going to he's you know, you live you die by what you live by. And the point being, he's just he's kind of like on autopilot and he can't get himself to stop even when he knows he should. Yeah, totally. And that's that's pretty much what I get from it, too. And, you know, maybe maybe a listener will will give us some great insight to this song that we're missing, because one of the things I like about doing this podcast and talking with people is you get all kinds of new interpretations. Right. But this is one I didn't see interpreted a lot online. And it's one that I just I thought it was pretty nutshell. And eh, whatever you're doing is how you're dying. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, again, because I, I don't think you need to try to deeply interpret this song. Uh, because, again, I think this is I mean, there aren't many metaphors in this in this song. It's he, he's just very straightforward. And when you read it, you're like, oh, I'm, I know what he's saying. You know, there's no like, oh, what did this line mean? Yeah. Well, that's very true. But since you brought up metaphors, let's let's go ahead and, and move along to the, <laughs> yes. the next thing because this next song, lots of people want to say it's the biggest metaphor possible. Um, yes. This next song is War Buddies. biggest comment online for this song that i saw was innuendo 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 right well there were two comments it was like innuendo the cold war innuendo the cold war well you just the the other thing and i'm not trying to to be a jerk everyone makes their mistakes but I, i kept seeing two different people i saw write this he's like this is a metaphor that folds into itself Yes. And I'm, just, I, I'm like, what do you even mean by that? Well, and, and this was this was one of the – I actually had to write this quote down. Someone said, it's a song about war disguised as a song about sex disguised as a song about war. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> and there's a part of me that almost accepts that. I'm like, yeah, okay. I can see that. Yeah. Well, I mean it's obvious that the song is using war as a metaphor for lots of different things, I think. Right. But and then he also uses a lot of innuendo at the same time. Right. And then I think especially in the first verse, yeah, they're like love is war kind of metaphor. Yeah. Like that's going on. But I feel like as the song progresses, it's more about you know, like the band of brothers idea of war. Oh, yeah. Like your friendships that are the people who you actually would, would be in a foxhole with, not for sexual purposes. Right, right, yeah. And, but but at the same time, 
there's an interesting line where he says, if nobody tries too hard to kill you, I got your back. And you're like, wait, that's that's not what you're supposed to say. <laughs> right. You know, you're supposed to be there for someone no matter what. And and I feel like the narrator of the song is like, yeah, but that's not how it really works. You know, well, and, and, and also when you take that line, I'll be the atheist in your foxhole, like right. the atheist in a foxhole is or there are no atheists in the foxhole is how the, right. the famous saying goes. So yeah. so it isn't very clear whether he's implying, yeah, I'll go to war with you or if he's just like, I'm I'm here till things get bad. Yeah, that, that's and that's how I feel like it. it uh, but and, and I also feel like I, I remember originally thinking I was like, I feel like this is a screwed up love song. But what I mean by that is it's a song about a really screwed up love, you know, like this, this isn't a relationship that's going well. This is, this is just kind of all over the place and it's messy. Um, but that's kind of how relationships are a lot of times. And, and, and it's one of those that like, I like this song a lot, even though I don't understand it. And I think that's one of the great things about this song is like, it can have so many meanings. It can mean three different things just as you're listening to it one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a metaphor folding in on itself. Exactly. <laughs> but and then uh, emotionally, though, vocally and lyrically, this song, I think, is just really powerful. Um, again, I, I think one of the things that drew me to this band when I first heard this album, and maybe even with Flagpole Sitter, is just the amount of emotion that Sean Nelson puts in his voice. I mean, he is so, he pleads, you know, he begs, he, he, you, you constantly think, is this man on the verge of tears? You know, it's just, you know, there are times when he's almost to the point of screaming because something is so powerful and, and painful. And, and I love the line. He, uh, and again, it's, I'll just read the line. If you've got guns, now's the time for sticking resistance is already forming the second shot won't be a warning and like it didn't move me lyrically but emotionally the way he sings that line every time is just it's i don't know it's like this threat but also with an understanding of the person saying that does not want this to happen yeah no and i i totally get what you're saying he does put a lot of emotion in that line it did bring up another point in my mind is when people are talking about the sex metaphor they're like oh gun which is you know a phallic symbol anyways but they're like still Sticking, haha, because of, and I was like, no, that's just a play on the saying stick to your guns. Yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't understand why people were trying to turn that into a sexual innuendo. He's yeah. saying, he's saying, if you have convictions, it's time to stand by them. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, the, the resistance is already forming. The second shot won't be a warning. Isn't necessarily saying we are doing the second shot. It could be they're shooting at us. Oh, and, yeah. You know, if you've got, yeah, if you've got guns, if you've got convictions, if you've got things that you believe in, now is the time to stick to those things. Yeah, I, I think going the innuendo path on this is probably the laziest interpretation of any song I've ever heard. I mean, granted, I'm sure some of it was a little bit of innuendo. Right. I'm, but, but, but that's, I don't think that's what it all is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I think he uses innuendo some in this song to mean other stuff. But it's, so it's definitely there. But to say that line is, oh, it's about sex. You're like, oh, wow, you really aren't getting poetic you know, structure sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to say right now, it's important to note that this CD has been released like three different times. Yes. Um, we're going by the original release, which is just 10 songs, which means we're about to talk about the last song. But apparently the other two times it was released, track orders were mixed. There's a whole bonus CD. So if anyone at home is wondering, how are they done now? It's because we're going by the original artist's release of this album. Right. Which, uh, again, I think was interesting because, like I said, when you first 
put the album out and you make it for free, well, how do you make money out of it? You release it in different forms with different songs and, you know, different, you know, so I, I think that was, again, I don't think that was their initial point, but I think it was a smart way for them to still capitalize on something that they had spent so much time and energy on is to say, okay, we actually do want to make money because, you know, yeah. we have to be able to feed ourselves. So let's release this with other variations of it. Yeah, I think I think it is a, a clever business move. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and hear a little bit of the f- track 10, the final song we're going to be discussing today, Diminishing Returns. No God's left to anoint, no more noses to bend out of joy. I'm going to meet you at the point of diminishing returns. Kind of a, a downtrodden way to end an album. Not that, yeah. that's a, not, not, not that that's a bad thing, but... But a very calm way. Yeah, very, very much like tone it down like the beginning started with a lot of rocking and then it ends very it slowly steeps down to this yeah this is one of those albums i almost can't put on repeat even though i love it so much because it goes so calmly and then if you've got it on repeat it goes right back into wine women and (laughs) right (laughs) sorry yeah definitely um i don't know for me I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on this song, but for me, it feels like the narrator has just seen and done it all, and he's just sitting back and waiting for the end of the world. <laughs> that's yeah, that's one one way to. If you're listening and, and you don't know the the concept of diminishing returns, uh, the law of diminishing returns refers to a point where the level of profits or benefits gained is less than the amount of energy or money being invested. So um, basically this, my life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this podcast. Um, it's a, you know, and, and usually it's, it's a, it's referenced uh, in terms of economics. The, the point being, if you're, if you're sinking a lot of money and energy into a business and it's not making anything, you know, you, you need to rethink about it. But it, I think it's really interesting to think about diminishing returns in the terms of a relationship, you know, whether it's with a person, whether it's with society, whether it's the world as a whole, just the concept of, you know, as, as you said, you, know, you joked about being your life, but that's, again, the law of diminishing returns was originally an economic, you know, it was just dealing with business and money. But yeah, I mean, I think there are so many ways our lives can fall into that as well. Where reflect that metaphor easily. Exactly. You know, we're, we're just putting so much into something and, and it just isn't giving anything back. But I, but I don't like it's almost easy to say, oh, so that means this is a love song. And I don't, I don't think it is. I, I think this song is really just about finding the balance in life. Uh, yeah, I didn't feel like this was a love song at all. I didn't think that this yeah. was this was a circumstance, but I could easily see like a father writing this song for his teenage son. Mm, yeah you know like it's it's a word to the wise it's like uh, okay but yeah and of course hell is other people yes that's true uh one of the lines from the song which um, is also th- a reference isn't, exactly yeah yeah isn't uh, that o'neill probably it sounds it sounds o'neill but and, and i also think this song is interesting though because you know at one point he says you know when optimism fails uh and my cooler head prevails and then later he says when pessimism fails and my cooler head prevails so like the you know there's it's this balance you know it's it, yeah I, I just think that's interesting is that he's he's really looking at it from both sides and trying and just being uh, you know because he talks about you know when popular activism, urbanism fail, you know, and, and I feel like 
it almost goes back to the first song with Wine, Women, and Song. The point is he's saying, when all these things that we try, when they fail, I'll meet you there. And that's kind of what I was saying by like, not literally waiting for the end of the world, but he's right, like, right, right. I've tr- I, I see that. I've seen what that does. I've seen what this does. When it's yeah. all do- said and done, I'll be over here. Yep. You know, but and then there's also this the line, you know, where he says, farewell to the days of having it both ways. You know, and it, it makes me realize. It makes me think about the fact that you know, especially as you get older, the choices you've made, you have to live with them. You know, and the, and they aren't always easy, but they have to be done. You know, whether you're talking about jobs, a relationship, politics, you put a lot of time and energy into them, and sometimes you have to move on from them because you're not getting it back. But the point is, you have to choose. You can't have it, you know, as he says, you can't have it both ways. This is no Schrodinger's cat. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, you know, like I, rem- I remember a friend of mine when he got he got divorced and years later he said, you know, divorcing her was the, the biggest mistake of my life, but it's one that I made and now I have to keep living. You know, and, and I, I thought that was a really interesting idea to, to admit that you'd made this giant mistake but then to also say, but I have to keep living my life. I can't focus on that. And I kind of feel like that's what this song is about, too, is like, you know, these things come and these things go and you fail. But the point is, you've got to make these choices. Well, yeah, and definitely. But I also feel like at the same time, part of making these choices is knowing when you hit the point of diminishing returns. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and saying, you know, yeah. Good point. So, and yeah, and I think that's the perfect way to end this album. That's been a a reflection about romance and social anxiety. And when all these, these decisions that he's made all along, bring them here. What can he do with it? Yeah. I don't really have any more thoughts about this song. Um, Honestly, I don't really have any more thoughts about this album. I I will note two things. One, I'd like to know what your three standout tracks are. If you can do it Two. I'd like to know if you have any final thoughts or anything, last thing you'd like to say about this album. So I'll, I'll go with my standouts. I actually would probably pick the first three as well. Um, well, I picked the or, one, two, and four. One, two, and four. So Little by Little, Wine, Women, and Song, and then you picked Moral Centralia. No, I picked Little Round Mirrors. Or Little, also oh, five, okay. See, I um, got Wine, Women, and Song, Cream and Bastards Rise, oh, that's what it was. and Little Round Mirrors. Sorry, Little by Little is the name of the album. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm just looking at my paragraphs um, that I'd written. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've I, I I think those are mine too, which is funny because when I when I would ever do mixed CDs, I was telling you I put songs in there. I always did Little Round Mirrors and Happiness Writes White because I I thought like those were as you were saying those were both really good shifts. You know, if you're when you're trying to shift an album, but my my, my overall just view of this album is, or the last thing I'd like to say is, I just I'm I'm impressed by his vocabulary and the things that he uses to talk about. You know, because like. I just made a short list. You've got the concept of also rans. You've got into my cups. You've got the word indeter- uh, interminable. You've got inter alia, which was Latin for among other things. You've got, he talks about a gulag. He talks about diminishing returns. And it's just like, like I feel like the point, or and not the point that he was trying to make, but the point that he just lives is that he, his songwriting is so much about the craft. And I feel like he's just such a smart person that his intelligence shines through. And he talks about, you know, he'll sing about a gulag, assuming that you even, you either know what a gulag is or you'll do the research once your, you know, interest has been piqued. But, you know, he just, he throws these phrases in there without a lot of explanation. And I, I, I like that about it because I feel like he's not talking down to you. He, he's not afraid to use large vocabulary in what could easily just be a love song. And I, I just think that's an interesting 
thing that you don't always get from a lot of uh, songwriters. Yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that for sure. Um, yeah, Like I said, I think there's a lot of... I, I was torn. Eventually I got to it, but I, I was torn whether this was an album or a collection of songs because a lot of these songs could easily stand alone. Right. But, you know, I do think that this is this is a whole piece, and I do feel like, as you have to with albums, the, the starting point and the ending point correlate. Yeah. Like, they make sense. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciated doing my my research on this album and uh i'm sure pretty soon next time i make some kind of mix cd one of these songs will pop up on it <laughs> nice um, yeah and, and if you ever get a chance to see sean nelson still records he still tours if you ever get a chance to see him definitely go he's a very likable guy in concert but he also his anxiousness shines through it really <laughs> does he uh you know like i remember there were times where he was in between songs and he was just kind of thinking about what song to do next and he was just like so anybody got any questions <laughs> you know i mean it's just like i i feel like he's he's very not necessarily uncomfortable with being in the spotlight but i i definitely you can tell he doesn't relish it and make it his life uh i you know i i, I do see him you know I, I can't tell you how many times he like reached up and like played with his hair or scratched his forehead you know i just feel like he is a very anxious person oh definitely i, I could see that for sure um yeah. but before we say our goodbyes i would like to say if if you've been listening to these samples and you get this album and you like this album i personally would suggest listening to weezer or okay go as as similar types of music mm -hmm. um i wouldn't necessarily say they're as album heavy as they are collections of songs heavy right which you know so we're probably we might not talk about them ever on this podcast but if you like this kind of music i would definitely suggest those two bands is there someone i'm missing that you would you would put with a similar artist suggestion no, but uh, to counter that, I would definitely say uh, not any of Harvey Danger's other music. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I've, I've got a couple, you know, I, I feel like this song, I feel like they were working towards this album and the other stuff never reached the same level of poetry. And I mean, again, I don't have anything against them, but if, if you really like this album, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to like Harvey Danger as a whole, I think. Interesting. I See, all I knew was Flagpole Sitta until you had right. to listen to this yeah. album. Look, I think I think that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for uh, talking with me about this album and hopefully, of course. Of, hopefully we'll get you in here again sometime. Of course, I'd love to. All right, hey, thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for listening. This is usually the part of the show where I encourage the more active listeners to write in and tell us what they thought the songs mean to participate in our mini-episodes, which will function sort of as an epilogue for the album we just finished, discussing further things that we may have missed or fan interpretations and a little section about remixes and covers and and samples i encourage everyone to participate in that but also the mini episodes it'll be the prequel to the uh next episode which that way if you are one of the people that want to listen to the album and and kind of want to think about what it means before you listen to the podcast you'll get a couple weeks ahead of time with the mini episodes to prepare for what the next album will be i'd just like to take one last chance to remind everyone to check out jeremy's novel the runaways and uh thank him so much for being on the show uh it was a great conversation anyways i can't thank you enough and please make sure to check out the new year's podcast when it officially launches have a good one